We're turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Daniel. We're seeing Daniel, who's a Jewish man. He was a young guy, taken off into captivity by the Babylonians, and he served in the Babylonian Empire. And the last time as we looked at this, the Babylonian Empire fell, and the Medo-Persian Empire came to power. And Daniel is going to be ruling also in the Medo-Persian Empire. It's kind of an amazing thing that he ruled in both of those empires. As we move to chapter 6, we get to what we call the end of the chronological chapters. Chapter one through six are in chronological order. So in chapter one, Daniel could be as young as 14 or 15, maybe 20. And as we get to chapter six, he's probably 85 or 90 because 70 years have passed. This is the last part of Daniel's life. He's an old man and he's living now in the court of a king by the name of Darius. We'll talk more about this, but Darius was under really a ruler by the name of Cyrus. So Daniel served in two different empires, the the, uh, Babylonian empire and the Medo-Persian empire. And in both of those empires, he was raised up to a place of leadership. So he was an amazing man. We look at his life and his character, and you know what's amazing is he's the same. Now in this chapter, he's the same from the time when he was a young boy. He's, as an old man, he is still faithful to trust God, to live for the Lord, to do his job to the best of his ability. He was a man who lived for God, and he was above reproach. Now there's a challenge coming in this chapter. Just like if we look back at chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make a decision. Were they going to bow down before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar put up, or would they be thrown in the fiery furnace? And they said, we're just going to trust God. And if God chooses to, he'll deliver us. If not, we'll be thrown in the fiery furnace, but we're going to trust God. In chapter 6, we're going to see the same sort of thing. There's a law out that says you can't pray to anybody but to the king Darius for the next 30 days. Is Daniel going to trust God? Is he going to pray? And if he prays, he knows he's going to be thrown in the lion's den. Is he going to say the same thing? Listen, I'm not going to pray to to anybody other than the true God, and if they throw me in the lion's den, they'll throw me in the lion's den. We'll see that as we go through it this morning. That's really hard because he's got to make a choice, and sometimes we have to make choices as well. Let me raise this question. How do you keep going when things go wrong in times of trials or problems, when even bad things happen? What, what keeps us going and living for Jesus Christ? Don Campbell was the president of Dallas Seminary after, uh, after Dr. Walford was the president, and he said this. He said, the only way you can keep going really is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, this relationship gives you purpose in life. It shapes your conduct and it sustains you in adversity. And when you think about it, the question would be, what about you, about your relationship? Think about this. There's an aspect that by faith in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal relationship with with God, and we become children of God. It'll never end. That's why when the Bible says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, and you're saved and saved forever. That's by faith in Christ. But then there's this idea of fellowship, which means the Christian life and walking in fellowship. It's an ongoing relationship or an ongoing fellowship in which we spend time with Christ. What Dr. Campbell is talking about, not only does it start with the fact that you trust in Christ and you have eternal life, but the fact that you maintain your fellowship with him. Well, that's what Daniel did. Daniel believed in the God of Israel. Daniel believed that there was a Messiah coming, and he trusted in the true Messiah, and yet he also lived his life according to the Word of God, and he, and he, and he did that all the way through. Well, this morning, we're going to see what happens to Daniel and what happens in this, this time of the Medo-Persians. Let me remind you, we've seen a number, and this is, I think history is so amazing. We saw this king named Nebuchadnezzar, and there was a Nebuchadnezzar, and there's all kind of information about him. He was in the first four chapters. Then we see this king, his name is Belshazzar. He was in chapter 5. We're going to meet another king, and his name is Darius. We saw him at the end of chapter 5, and he's going to be found in chapter 6. And then at the end of chapter 6, there's this mention of a, a ruler by the name of Cyrus. 
And Cyrus was actually the king of Persia. He was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. We're going to talk more about him in just a minute. In fact, I want to show you something in the Bible that just shows you how perfect the Word of God is. Well, remember, Daniel now is an old man. He's probably, let's just say he's close to 90 years old. He's lived his entire life outside of his homeland. He's lived his entire life outside of his home of Jerusalem. And as we look at this chapter, I put it together this way. We won't see all of it today, but we're going to see that he's favored by Darius in verses 1 through 3, but then framed by his enemies in 4 through 9. And then this morning, we'll also see that he's faithful to God. That's 10 through 15. We'll stop there this morning. Next week, we'll come back that he's thrown, flung into the lion's den. We'll see what happens there, and he's freed by the king. And this is a, it's an amazing chapter. All of you know the story. Many of you may have thought, in fact, I remember I've asked people, I say, what do you think Daniel looked like when he was thrown in the lion's den? And almost everybody says, oh, he was a young boy standing in the lion's den. He wasn't a young boy. This is, he's, he's been in captivity for over 70 years. He's an old man when he's thrown in the lion's den. So we're going to see that and see how it fits together in just a minute. Now, let's, let's do this. I want to show you something. First of all, who is Darius? Who is this man? Well, we're not actually sure who he is. We know that the Medo-Persian Empire was divided into two groups, the Medes and the Persians. Darius is called a Mede. Cyrus is called a Persian. The best that we can understand, the Medo-Persian Empire was ruled by Cyrus, and this man named Darius was actually under Cyrus and had a, a part to do. Now, I want to show you something. Cyrus was the king. He was a Persian, okay? Now, let me tell you something that you might not have ever thought about. The Bible said in Jeremiah 25 that the nation of Israel would be taken into captivity and they would stay in captivity for 70 years. Guess what? They were taken into captivity in 605 B.C., then another time in 598 B.C., and then another five, time in 585 B.C. Seventy years later, the Babylonian Empire falls, and the Medo-Persian Empire rises to power, and the king by the name of Cyrus comes. And Cyrus, and it's found in, in, in Ezra, it's also found in Second Chronicles, that when Cyrus became king, he made a decision. He said, for some reason, <laughs> I've decided to allow the Jewish people to go back to their land. That's after 70 years. Now, the prophecies by Jeremiah was they'd be in captivity for 70 years and then they get to go home. It just so happened when Cyrus, king of Persia, came to power, he decided to allow the Jewish people to go back home. Now, I wonder why that happened. Now, let me tell you something else. Not only did he allow the people, the Jewish people to go back home and rebuild their temple, he paid for it. Then let me show you something you may have never seen. Isaiah was a prophet. You know who he is. Isaiah lived about 200 years before Cyrus became the king of Persia. Isaiah wrote this. He's the king of Persia. At Cyrus was the king of Persia, and he was used to release the captives and rebuild the temple. Look what Isaiah wrote 200 years before this ever happened. Isaiah 44, 28. It is I, this is God speaking. It is I who says of Cyrus. God calls Cyrus his name 200 years before he's ever born and says, he is my shepherd. He will perform my desire 
He, and he declares of Jerusalem, this is Cyrus now talking, she will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. God says 200 years before there was ever a Cyrus that a man named Cyrus is going to come and rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. And sure enough, exactly 70 years after they'd been in captivity to Babylon, God raises up a king named Cyrus, and Cyrus allows the people to go back home. Is that amazing? That's the Bible. The Bible is true. It is accurate. It is God's word. And when God gives a prophecy, it always comes to true, true exactly the way he made the prophecy. So what we got here is this man named Darius in chapter 6. He was appointed by Cyrus. The best that we can tell, he's appointed by Cyrus to rule this section of the empire. And we're going to see what happens. So let's start. Now let's go through it and let's see what happens. Here he is. This is Daniel being favored by Darius. Look at verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. Now, here is Cyrus and, 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 and Darius. And by the way, Darius didn't rule very long. If you read history, the best that we can see is he ruled for a very short time. If you noticed, at the end of chapter 5, he was 62 years old when he took the reign. When he was appointed by Cyrus to rule. He was already 62. From history, the best we can understand, he didn't rule but a few months. But a few months. And here he is. It was good to Darius to appoint 120, let's say, Satraps, which were rulers. He's going to appoint 120 people over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. This is what he decided to do. The section that he was ruling, he said, I'm going to divide it into 120 sections. I'm going to appoint different people to rule it so I can make sure everything's going on. Then it says, and over that, he appointed three commissioners. And guess who one of them is? Of whom Daniel was one and that these satraps might be accountable to them, to the big three, and that the king might not suffer loss. Here's the question. Why did God allow Daniel to be in leadership in this empire? Daniel's an old man. Daniel was in leadership in the Babylonian empire till right toward the end. Now the medo persian empires come in. What they could have easily done is just kill Daniel. They could have said, he's just this old man, just put him away, but for somehow... Darius sees Daniel and raises him up to be one of the top three positions in the empire. You know why? Because God is going to use Daniel to influence all this. And under Cyrus, God's going to move the heart of Cyrus to, to allow the nation to go back. God is just using Daniel to send the people back to Israel. It's amazing. Now watch what happens. Verse 3. Then this Daniel began to distinguish himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, Daniel is doing so good as a, let's just say it, he's 90 years old. 90-year-old man is the best ruler that the king got. He's got all these 120 people. He's got these two other leaders along with Daniel, and as he looks at Daniel, he says, Daniel, you by far, you by far better than anybody I got. You're by far better than anybody I've got. Look what it said. He possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. The king said, I'm going to put you as the top of everybody. I mean, I'm the, I'm the ruler. You're next to me. That's going to be the plan. Daniel was amazing. God is working in the life of Daniel. Because that's what he does. From the time that Daniel was a young boy all the way to this time, God uses him. And listen, I want to remind you of something. We're going to talk about it later. But look, you're never too young to be used by God, and you are never too old to be used by God. 
There's some people who say, well, I'm just, I'm just in college, or I'm just a teenager, or I'm just this. You're never too young. And then some people say, well, I'm old. Let, let all the young people do it. You're never too old to be used by God. You're never too young to be used by God. Daniel was amazing. Daniel was amazing. He was a light in the darkness. And when the king looked around, he said, boy, this guy is the best worker. He's the best worker. Well, watch what happens. He says, I think I may make Daniel top man. Well, we're going to see he's framed by his enemies. Look at verse 4. Then the commissioners and the traps began to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could find no grounds of accusation or evidence of corruption insomuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Now, wouldn't you like to go to our government officials and let, let's just check them out and see if there's any corruption or anything anywhere? These other officials said, we don't like Daniel, and we understand he's fixing to be the top dog, so let's do this. Let's watch how he handles his job as a commissioner, as the, and we'll find where he's, you know, taking too many, you know, he's taking staples homes. I mean, he's doing this. He's, he, you know, he's cutting paper. He's using stamps he's not supposed to use. He's doing all these things. We'll catch him doing something wrong. And they couldn't find him doing anything wrong. Above board on everything that he did. Everything. Why would they hate him? Well, think about this. First of all, they're jealous of him. He's fixing to be the top dog. He's old. They're younger. They say, why should this old man be in this position? And he's a foreigner. He's not a medial Persian. He's a Jew. And they said, he came out of a former empire. This is our empire. And he worships a different God than us. So they didn't like him at all. And they're trying to find something, but they can't find anything. Notice again, it says the commissioners of traps began, they were going to find a ground of accusation against Daniel, but they could find no evidence or corruption. They said, this guy, he's squeaky clean. That's what they would say. Now, sometimes we get accused the wrong way. We get accused unjustly. Just because we're Christians, sometimes we may be disliked. Have you ever, because you told people you were a Christian, that they didn't like you? That's happened to me. I remember going to a meeting that was supposed to be Christians. And people were talking about what they believed. And I said, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he died on the cross and paid for sin. And he's the Savior of the world. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. And there were several people in there who said, well, we, we despise you for what you believe. They actually said the word despise. I went, what did I do? Actually, you're mad at Jesus is who you're mad at. But anyway, the bottom line is sometimes when you stand for Christ in a fallen world, there can be people against you. You haven't done anything wrong. You haven't done anything wrong. Think about Paul the Apostle. All he did was going around telling people about Jesus Christ, and they throw him in prison and beat him, beat him up and, and, and just everything that they could, could do to get him. And he had done his job so well, they could find nothing against him. By the way, how do we do our jobs? Could they find something against us? I mean, what? The Bible says as more of a brethren is required of stewards this, uh, us to be found faithful. What does he require? We want to be faithful as we live for God in the midst of a fallen world. And so how do we do our jobs? How do you do your schoolwork? How do you do classes? How do we do uh, our projects? How do we do all these kind of things? We want to be faithful to be the best that we can be and do everything above board. We want to do everything the right way, whether it's our job, our schoolwork, or whatever it is. We want to be people that people will say, wow. Great job. So plan A didn't work. We're going to find where Daniel does something wrong in his job 
And he couldn't, they couldn't find anything that he did wrong in his job. So look what they do. Verse 5. Then these men said, we're not going to find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. We're going to find out something maybe between what he believes and we can sort of trick him somehow and, and get him into trouble based on what he believes. That's their plan. So look at verse 6. Then the commissioners of the traps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. Now, they came by agreement. That means they had a plan that we're going to go meet with the king. We talked about this ahead of time. We got the plan. We're going to go meet with the king, and we're going to talk to him. And of course, we start off by saying, O king, Darius, live forever. And then here's their plan. All the commissioners, now it's not all the commissioners because one of the commissioners is Daniel. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together. We've all come together, and we've consulted together that the king should establish a statute, that's a law, and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or any man beside you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast in the lion's den. Now, you're the king. And these people come to you and they say, King, we really been thinking about it. You're the greatest. And so we've, we've all decided, why don't you make a law that can't be changed? Make a law that for the next 30 days, we can only worship you. How does that sound to you? Nobody could pray to any other God or any other person for the next 30 days. And if they were to pray to any other God or anything, they'd get thrown in the lion's den. See, under the Babylonian Empire, they threw you in a fiery furnace. But under the medieval Persian Empire, they threw you in a lion's den. Under the Roman Empire, they put you on a cross. Under the Assyrian Empire, they, put you, they dug you in the ground, put your head down in the ground. The only thing sticking up out of the ground was your head, and then they came by and knocked your head off. That's how the Assyrians did it. Babylonians put you in a fiery furnace. Medial Persians, they threw you in a lion's den. So they said, how about it, king? And if you're the king, you go, well, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. You can only pray to me because I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm like God. So, yeah, that's a great idea. So you guys came up with that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, king. We came up with that. All of us came up with that. So they're going to make a law. They're going to make a law that, that only pray to Darius for the next 30 days, and anyone praying to any other god gets thrown in the lion's den. And here's what they said. They said, now, king establish this thing because, because once the king establishes it, listen, if it's signed by the king, it can't be changed. It can't be changed. Look what it says. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Now, I want you to understand some difference. Under the Nebuchadnezzar had supreme authority. He could make a law and he could change it. Nebuchadnezzar ruled the world. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember what we found back in chapter 5, it said when Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, he'd raise up anybody he wants to, he'd put down anybody he wants to. He could kill anybody he wants to, he could let somebody live if he wants to. He could make a law and he could change the law. Under the medial Persian Empire, the king was not supreme. The king was under the laws. And if you made a law, you could not change the law. Do you remember the story of Esther? That's the medial Persian Empire. And they made the decree that all the Jewish people would be killed on a certain day. And the king couldn't go back in there and say, okay, we'll forget that law. They had to make a different law. So here is the medial Persian Empire. And they said, king, make a law. And once you sign it, it can't be changed. And so the king goes, well, I don't have any problem with that. Okay. You can only pray to me for the next 30 days. Let me ask you something. 
Daniel wasn't there, but he knows about the law because it comes out as an injunction. It comes out as a law. And the law says, no one can pray to anyone but to King Darius for the next 30 days. What do you think Daniel thinks? Daniel goes, wait a minute. Who came up with that law? Well, all the commissioners did. Well, I'm one of the commissioners. I didn't come up with that law. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Daniel? What are you going to do? Because what Daniel does is what every good Jewish person did in that day and time. They prayed three times a day. They prayed at the time of the morning sacrifice, 9 o'clock. They prayed at the time of the, the middle sacrifice, which was at 12 o'clock, and then the evening sacrifice, which was at 3 o'clock. Because in the temple, they offered a morning and an afternoon sacrifice, and so they prayed at 9 o'clock, they prayed at 3 o'clock, and they also played, prayed in the middle of the day. Daniel was accustomed to go into his house where he had windows, and he would open the windows toward Jerusalem, and he would pray. And now they say to him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Daniel? Are you going to pray or not pray? Because if you pray to anybody other than the true God, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. What's going to happen? Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Daniel going to be faithful? Look what Daniel does. We're going to see Daniel is faithful to God. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had done what? Previously. Listen, if you ask anybody and you said, what does Daniel do? And they'd say, well... He goes to his house three times a day, opens the windows and prays toward Jerusalem. He does that three times a day. Everybody knows that. He does as, been, as he'd been doing. Just as he'd been doing. There he is, looking out his window, praying to God. Now, you, you, you may say, what do you mean, pray? What, praying to Jerusalem? He opened the window and he prayed toward Jerusalem? Do you understand that at the time of the sacrifices when he prayed, King Solomon when he built the temple in Israel, he stood on a platform in front of all of the people, stood up in front of all of the people on the dedication of the temple. This was back much earlier because the temple had already been messed up. And he prayed to God and he said, one day, if we are taken away into captivity, that we will look toward this temple in Jerusalem and we will pray to you. Daniel was taken off into captivity his whole life. In his whole life, he fulfilled what Solomon said in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. Every day, he would open the windows toward Jerusalem, and he'd pray to where the temple had been. It's been destroyed. They're going to rebuild it, but it's been destroyed, and he's praying toward the temple. That's what he's doing, neatly. And so what happens there? There he is. Pray into Jerusalem, pray into God toward the holy city, toward where the temple was. Now, you could, you could say this. Well, Daniel, I mean, listen, aren't you supposed to obey the laws of your government? And if the government makes a law that says you can't pray to anybody but this guy for 30 days, so do we obey God or do we obey men? Now, there's some options for Daniel. Let's think about it. He could stop praying for 30 days. He could say, well, I'm just not going to pray for 30 days, and I'll be okay. You think Daniel's going to go 30 days without praying, especially he's used to praying three times a day? 
for all of his life? No. Could he hide while he's praying? Don't open the door. Don't open the windows. Just get off, but you know, nobody can see you and just pray, right? Could he do that? He could have. Could he just do a silent prayer and just like stand around and pretend he's not praying, but he's praying because you can pray anytime, right? Or could he just pray as always? What did he do? He prayed as always. You know what he said? I don't know what's going to happen. In the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got ready to be thrown in the fiery furnace, and they said, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're not going to bow down and worship your God. We'll trust God. He may deliver us. He may not deliver us. Daniel says the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm always going to pray to God. I'm going to always open my window. I'm going to pray three times a day, just like I always do. I don't know what's going to happen. They may throw me in the lion's den. I may get eaten up. They may not throw me in the lion's den. All I know is I'm going to trust God and live by the Scripture. And that's what we have to do. When we go out these doors, we don't know what's coming our way day in and day out. And we don't know the kind of choices that are going to be pushed on us. But we got to make decisions that we're going to live by the Scripture. And we don't know what the consequences might be by living by the Scripture in a fallen culture. But you're going to have to trust God. That's what Daniel did. That's what we must do. So look what happened. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. You know what they probably heard him say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. That's how he'd start off. It was called the Shema. It's, Hebrew chapter, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. He probably started every day with the, what they call the Shema. Shema, Shema, o Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And he prays to God. And I guarantee you, when those men came by agreement, that means they said, okay, let's go see. It's 9 o'clock. There he is. Let's go back at 12. There he is. Let's go back at 3. There he is. These men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and supplication before God. So, then they approached, watch. They approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. And here's what they say. By the way, king, did you not make an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? Didn't you come up with the, the law that said nobody can pray to anybody but you for 30 days? And the king said, well, yeah, the statement's true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which what? Which may not be changed. No, I, yeah, that's exactly it. And so... Here's what they do. Here's the accusation. They answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but he keeps making his petition three times a day. See, they came back. They didn't come just one time. They didn't come and see Daniel praying. They came and they noticed that he prayed three times a day, just like always. And so they said, oh, king, Daniel's doing it. He pays no attention to you and no attention to the decree. He just skipped it. Daniel would not go contrary to the Bible. What does the Bible say to us about prayer? It says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. It says pray without ceasing. It says I want all people to lift up prayers. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want all men to lift up prayers. It says for us to be praying all the time. What if the United States said we now have a law during the month of December that no one can pray to anyone except the government? What would you do? The Bible tells us to pray all the time. Pray, pray to God. 
Pray to you. Oh, you going to stop or not? Daniel has this charge. What's he going to do? This had been Daniel's life from a young boy to an old man. He's close to 90 years old. You think he's going to stop now? He's not going to stop now. Now, the king liked Daniel because out of all the people, Daniel was the best worker he had. And out of all the rulers, Daniel was the top-notch one. In fact, he was about to make Daniel number one of everybody. And all of a sudden, they come to him and say, by the way, did you make this law? And he went, oh, yeah, you know, our laws can't be changed. He said, that's right. This Daniel guy has disobeyed the law. You know what that means, don't you? Daniel's got to be thrown in the lion's den. And all of a sudden, Darius goes, what have I done? What am I thinking? What have I done? Look at verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. And he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And until even, even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. He was distressed because Daniel was his best. You know, sometimes we do things without thinking. That's why put your heart and mind into the scriptures. Know what it says. Live by the word of God and you'll never be able to never go wrong. So what happens? He says, okay, you guys get out of here. And he thought, man, man, I've got the rest of the day to figure out how I can get Daniel out of this mess because the law can't be changed. So he tries all day long to figure out a way to get Daniel out of this mess, but he can't figure out a way to do it. So verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. You know what they say? You can't change it, king. He's got to go into the lion's den. And deep down they're so happy. We're getting rid of the troublemaker, the guy that makes us all look bad, the guy that does everything good, the guy that worships a different God. We're going to get rid of this guy. We have made this happen. Verse 16. This is next week. Then the king gave orders. Had to. And Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. I want you to picture something. It's not, it's not like a, a cave and the lions are down in there. It's a hole. The lions are down in a den and there's a hole and the lions are down in there and they throw the people down into the hole where the lions are. And we're going to see this next week. What happens? Next time. Daniel would be arrested and brought before the king. So what have we seen? Daniel was raised, uh, raised up to be the top authority. It upset everybody. They came up with a law. Daniel would not break. He, he would not uh, go against the word of God. And now he's supposed to die. He's supposed to be thrown in the lion's den. And I didn't read all the verse, but verse 16, the king actually says, Oh, Daniel, any way it's written in the, in the Aramaic, he actually says, I hope your God delivers you. That's what I hope. Let's realize sometimes we're going to be accused unjustly. Sometimes you've done nothing wrong except stand for Jesus Christ and decide that you're going to live for him and you make a decision that in a fallen world, you're going to live for him. And let me just tell you, you should expect persecution if you stand for Christ. If you make a decision that where you work, 
where you go to school, on that campus, in a job, in a neighborhood, even in your family sometimes, you make a decision that you're going to stand for God's word, you're going to stand for Christ, you're going to say that salvation is a gift and Jesus is the only way and the Bible is God's word and all of these things, sometimes you're going to be persecuted. Sometimes people are going to go after you. So expect it. Expect persecution if you stand for Christ. Let us be faithful to do our responsibilities unto unto the Lord. You know, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. And Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So as you do your job, think about this. As you do your job, you're not doing it for your boss. You're doing it for Jesus Christ. And as you do your schoolwork and your papers and your projects, you're not doing them for a professor. You're doing them for Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do it as an unto the Lord and not unto men. That's what Daniel did. He said, I'm going to be the best ruler I can be because God has allowed me to be in this position. And every one of us in this room, whatever jobs we have, whatever things God has for us to do, do them for his glory. Represent God in, a, in, a, in our jobs and in our school. First Corinthians 4, 2 is just required of stewards for us just to be faithful to do what he has for us to do. Number three, let us be faithful to maintain fellowship with God. That's Daniel. From the time he was a young boy, to the time he's an old man, he's praying and maintaining his fellowship. For you in this room, do you have a quiet time? Do you have a time daily in which you meet with your Savior and you talk with him and you read scripture and you write things and you pray and you, and you, and you think through it and you spend time with him? Now, you know, you can spend time with him all day long. I mean, you can talk to him all day long. But do you have a time, as Daniel did, three times a day that he prayed and offered up and spent time with God? We know that Jesus did the same thing. If you read Mark chapter 1, Jesus got up very early in the morning, went out by himself to talk to the Father. And they came out and they, went, they couldn't find him. And they went out and found him all by himself. And they said, what are you doing? He said, everybody's looking for you. Jesus took time to meet with his heavenly Father in the sense the heavenly Father is. And we need to do the same thing. The fourth thing, God uses us regardless of our age. Listen, some, some of us are older. Some of us are young. God can take you and use you. It doesn't matter whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're middle, whether you, it doesn't matter whether you're young. It doesn't matter. He will take you, and if you say to him, God, take my life, use me for your glory, he will use you for his glory. One final thing to think about. The law, let's understand that the law of God cannot be changed. You know what I mean by that? The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. And the soul that sin shall die. The Bible says if you sinned, you owe God death. That law can't be changed. Every one of us in this room have done what? We've sinned and come short of the glory of God. We owe God death. We can't break that law. In fact, we can't do anything about that law. But God so loved us, the world, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die in our place. Because the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ took our place and died for us. And he says, I've done it all. I paid the penalty for sin. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. So even though the law can't be changed, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus died for us. And we can have eternal life as a gift simply by faith in Christ. Wow, it is so beautiful. Uh, God said, here's the law. Soul that sin shall die. Jesus said, I will die in their place. Jesus took our place. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life.